0: Oliver Franklin Wallace is an author. He's a very good author. He's an accomplished author, and he has written a book called Wasteland. It's fascinating. It is a fascinating topic. And I am wondering of all the things, Oliver, you could have written about. Why'd you choose this?
1: Yeah, I know. I told my friends uh, when I started out this program, they're like, oh, I'm writing a book and they got so excited. They're like, what is about?" I'm like, oh, it's about trash. And you just get these kind of like weird looks from people. And I would, you know, I spend a lot of time going around the world uh, reporting and I'd be like going to India and uh, Ghana and all these kind of interesting places. And people thought it was very glamorous. You know, you're going to India and they're like, oh, what are you going to do in India? Are you going to go see the Taj Mahal? And I'm like, no, I'm going to one of the world's largest landfills. Uh, but to me, that's great. You know, This it's like an ex- it's, it's an interesting world. It's not always the most glamorous place. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's an interesting place to be. And it's like a side of the, the world that you don't really think about until you start thinking about. What you know the, the garbage cans are like this magic trick. you put things inside it and then it just they just like magically disappear. But the thing that I was kind of fascinated by is this idea that the, the you know the disposal chain is quite often as long and as complicated as the supply chain, and we talk about how, where things come from or whether they're fair trade or they're organic or what what have you. but no one really thinks about where they go, and quite often it, it's just as long and fascinating a journey.
0: What's the most draw, uh, jaw-dropping thing you discovered about the global waste industry as you as you put this book together? Because it oh is my- fascinating, man. I was mortified some of the shit that you
1: wrote. <laughs> can I can I swear on this podcast? Is that yes. okay? Yes. I, I I think this the sheer amount of bullshit in this industry and in this world kind of staggered me. Like you look back. The decades, and you see, well, okay, well, Coca Cola was making these recycling pledges in the mid '90s, and like they just didn't do it, and nobody followed up to check, and then they were doing it like two, 1995, 2005, 2007, 2010, and every time you have these big companies being like, "No, no, no, we're going to clean up our acts now," and they never, they never do, they never, like, they never have done. Um, so, so seeing some of that, and like the, we can talk about later, but like the the, the fact that re- recycling as we know it was kind of invented as like a, a, like greenwashing. You know, it's like an, a sustainability play by big corporates uh, to to get away with, like, essentially dumping a lot of their products on us without being legislated against. So there's kind of this fascinating history. But if you want to talk about the number, like the sheer numbers, the scale is kind of wild. One of my favorite ones is that uh, we throw away about a, a third of all food grown worldwide, uh, which mean, which is like a staggering figure when you've got 820 million starving people in the world. But... Um, When you actually think about the farmland wasted, it means like 20% of, I think it's the figure is 28% of all farmland is is used to grow food that's never eaten. And if you counted up all those acres, all those hectares, it would cover the entire subcontinent of India. So you like think of the amount of farmland that we literally are just totally wasting and it kind of explodes your brain a little bit. Uh,
0: I think you just exploded Billy's brain and Mikey. They both had the same (laughs) reaction. What happened to the both of you right there? It's crazy, right? i mean what happens to it all like w- all this food is getting grown like what happens to it
1: oh well i mean it, th- things that, things get wasted for so many reasons you know there's things like farm loss on farm is like a big a big thing that we don't talk about a lot you know for, for, some of this stuff happens by natural disaster or, or things like that but a big thing and, and well, the thing that kind of really appalled me in the book is you know retailers will tell you that most of the stuff we throw away in the case of food happens at home, right? You buy too much food, it sits it rots away in the fridge, you get to the end of the month and things are a little bit funky and you end up throwing away three quarters of your bag of salad or whatever. And your bread, like old moldy loaves of bread and all this kind of stuff that gets thrown away. But then there's kind of these little pockets of, of things and you realize you know, how much restaurants and the the fast food industry and those kind of things, the, the waste on that scale is, is right. So for example, like you, you have these little... Little light bulb moments. So, for example, I remember reading or noticing for the first time that if you go into a shop and buy a sandwich, like I don't know if this is a big thing in the U- US, if you like buy a pack, like a sandwich in a packet. The, you, like ne- they never make them with the crusts. So, like it was like where do, where do all the crusts go? And then you add it all up, and it's like something like four hundred thousand loaves of bread worth of crusts in the UK alone are thrown away every year just by like the packaged sandwich industry. And you're like, holy goodness you know the just, just just those kind of tiny things and you realize the scale of the waste and you want to talk about farmers farmers are obsessed with this stuff right because we i would go to i don't know, you know in the book i went to farms and and saw the scale of like the industrial uh, amount of vegetables and stuff that goes to waste and it's just left rotting in the fields and one of the the couple of main reasons one is that big retailers have these crazy cosmetic standards. Like they won't sell an apple that has a blemish on it. So everything has to be perfect and the same uniform size and shape and getting things to reach something. You know, if you want to sell your produce in whole foods, it's got to be beautiful and anything that's not beautiful. Chances are it's going to, you know, it's getting dug back into the soil or it's going in the blender. And, um, you know, when you the the second thing that you have is that you get these huge retailers, and they sign these contracts with farmers, which say, okay, we're gonna ha- we're gonna want a hundred thousand tons of okra or whatever uh, this season. And then suddenly the weather changes, or like there's, they they see some buying pattern change, and they'll just be like, oh, actually, we only ever wanted eight hundred thousand tons or whatever. And they'll so they'll cut the order by twenty percent. And by then it's already in the ground, and it's too late for the farmers to really do anything. Like they're scrambling around trying to find a market for it. So a huge amount of of food waste happens because of like. Just the weirdly f- economics of of like food growing and farmers. So farmers are, are like living this stuff day to day. And if you went across the Midwest or anywhere in the UK, um, they would tell you that it's that that it's kind of wilder than even even than you think. Uh,
0: you you talked about Coke earlier, and I think you call it uh, you call it greenwashing recycling. Uh, can you explain to people in layman's terms exactly what it is Coca
1: Cola was doing? uh yeah sure i mean so coca-cola produces a very large number of I, I it's the, the the exact tonnage and the number of bottles is in the book but there's about 480 billion i think plastic bottles sold worldwide every year if you want to kind of try and visualize that i str- I, I worked out how many times that would stretch you to the moon and back but it's more than a couple of times um but you know, Coca-Cola for a long time have pledged that, okay, we're going to put some recycled plastic in our bottles to try and minimize the amount of virgin plastic and therefore fossil fuels we're mining from the ground. Um every time they've made that pledge so far, they haven't made it, as far as I as far as I know. I'm not up to date with their most recent pledge, but it seems unlikely to me. Um, so yeah, I mean and, and that's the long, a long, long the latest like in a long, long line of, of corporate greenwashing with our waste that goes back to the nineteen fifties. Um, because after the Second World War, we had the kind of consumer, great golden era, consumer boom, and suddenly we had all these white goods and plastics, which basically didn't exist prior to that at any kind of scale happened. You know, I talk about in the book that for... Like the idea of disposables, like disposable packaging, disposable cutlery, those kind of things, didn't really exist until basically the 1940s, when you have the the arrival of the disposable diaper. Before that, it meant like extra, a nice bonus. So you talk about people's disposable income, they weren't really using it as like disposable forks weren't really a thing in the same way, right? So we have as as you know, the global north, all of these economies are like, okay, what do we do with all this stuff? And there was a push to legislate to, pe- to basically make companies pay their way and in you know, paying money towards the waste disposal system to make sure that it was getting getting disposed of instead of ending up in like highway hedgerows and you know in the environment. And um, a few of the packaging companies got together and they formed this action group called Keep America Beautiful. And one of the things that this action group did was it launched a very famous series of ads. Uh, there's a very famous ad with like a cry, called the crying Indian ad, but it basically said that the problem was due, due to litterers, and they invented this term the, lit, the litter bug, who, and the litter bug was the person who was filling the environment with all this stuff, and, and not the companies who were kind of pumping them out into the world, knowing that they were essentially, you know, never going to biodegrade. And you had similar campaigns that that was very successful. It had similar campaigns all over the Western world, the global north, and we kind of still live with with that. Attitude to waste now, like it's a little bit like a lot of people don't know. For example, that the, the carbon footprint was an idea popularized by the by the oil company British Petroleum. Like that's a, that's a we all talk about carbon footprint because of the oil industry wanted to basically blame it all on us. Uh, so it's a, a very similar thing happened with waste, and we're kind of still living with the repercussions. You know, anytime we have a big discussion around, okay, well, why is there all of this plastic in our oceans? It's kind of like, well, we need to do better jobs of like washing out our yogurt pots and not okay, well, maybe we need to find a way to make sure that, you know, waste, waste collection is funded all around the global south, where about only, like, 2 billion people don't have any kind of formalized waste collection at all. So the idea of the garbage man is just alien in, in huge parts of the world, which is something that blew my mind and I think blows all other people's minds when you think about it. And you want to know why the ocean's full of plastic. It's because 2 billion people don't have, you know, trash collection. So it, it ends up in the environment, Jeez. which is a huge environmental, you know, and, and and human challenge. So littering's
2: fine then because it's really the companies <laughs> that are to blame. That's what you're saying.
1: I, I I don't think it's quite what I said. Uh I mean for real though. I, but it's not our that, fault, that's all, right? Well, I I I just think that like sometimes we are convinced that like the answer is to buy more stuff or like feel guilty about the things that you're the tiny things that you're doing in your life when the reality is like if the procurement guy at Nike or the procure, you know, the, someone who's in packaging design at Coca-Cola makes one slightly different decision on a Thursday morning design meeting, they can kind of save more plastic than every single person, you know, recycling all of their plastic pots in the entire country, you know? So it's like the, the, I'm not saying that you should litter. I'm just saying like the people who can really make a difference, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's not, you're not going to solve this problem in the grocery aisle.
2: Well, um, so to not be grim then, like there's not, a whole lot that we as average citizens can really do to solve this problem because it's bigger than us
1: well i think that i i, I don't think that that's true i, I don't mean um, it to things say things like
2: we, why even bother trying you know what i mean yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, not, yeah, sure. it's not it's then, not like a thing where it's like i can go out and i have to recycle every day and i will solve this problem on my own because it's, it's yeah bigger than that
1: it's way bigger than that yeah yeah, and and I do think that there's this 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 kind of challenge, which is people, you know, I talk to people about this, and they're like, okay, well, I can do, it. and I'm like, well, you can do a lot of stuff. You can, you know, first of all, you could buy less stuff that you don't need, which is which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But you know, you can recycle effectively, and you can reuse and repair things, and we can do you know do all of the things that would be kind of better for the environment. But I'm saying, like, individually, you're not going to solve the problem because of you know, if you just talk about the the rate of growth. In waste production in the global south for example 1.3 billion extra tons of waste being produced globally by 2050 i think is the world bank projection so um that doesn't all mean that we should like see climate change and be like oh i'm not going to buy an electric car because i you know it's not going to solve a drop in the ocean we all have a collective responsibility to do it for sure i think that the thing that we need to sometimes be mindful of is solutions that like involve us buying new like Buying new stuff. Okay, just buy this expensive tote bag, it, it buy this expensive water bottle or whatever, and, and you'll feel better. And like not dealing with the systemic issues. A lot of people have come to me and, and they're like, oh, well, recycling's broken, so we just shouldn't bother. I'm like, no, no, no. Recycling's broken, so we should fix it. You know, if I told you that clothing is made in sweatshops, your response is, oh, well, well I'm going to stop buying shoes. You're like, well, no, because you need shoes. You're going to find ethical ways to produce shoes and maybe pay those people a bit better. So I think that we need to kind of have this approach of okay let's iterate and fix problems rather than you know uh, abandoning them ho- or wholesale and like let's just tone the rhetoric down a little bit see where the things are broken and the opportunities to fix it because there are opportunities to fix it and um, I talk about some of them in the book and I'm sure we'll talk about some of them here
0: uh, the book is Wasteland check it out it's pretty fascinating man Oliver Franklin Wallace is the author he's with us right now here on Stupidity. who's trying to fix it like who is like what
1: is trying like what are people trying oh, to God. do I, I mean like- trying to do it the crazy thing is that every like this, it feels. Well, I started this book back in 2019, which feels like a long time ago to me. I've had like an extra kid and stuff since then. So it's like in those pre-pandemic days, so it feels like a long time. Pre-pandemic feels a lifetime ago. How many kids do you have? Um, I got two. Oh, wait, uh, just wait. Exactly, exactly. And yes, they they st- <laughs> like my younger still has disposable <laughs> nappies, so you couldn't hang me for it. Oh, um, but like the <laughs> the um. The, the crazy thing is, like, the rate—seeing the rate of change—is wild. You know, we you and I are talking here now. The UN is debating a plastics convention, which, when I started this book, just seemed totally unthinkable. And if you talk to activists in this space, they've been like, "There's no way that that's ever going to happen." You have like state legislatures in the U.S. passing right-to-repair laws, saying to you know big tractor companies and car companies, "Okay, you own phone companies. Okay, you've got to make things and let us repair them." and standing up to the corporate interests who so are trying to sell you stuff and like that you're locked into and can, can't be fixed anymore. Um, so to see the groundswell of, of support for some of this stuff has been has been crazy and really encouraging, you know, like, because because to me, we talk about climate change a lot and people say, well, why would you fight, you know, aren't there bigger things that you want to worry about than, than waste? And I'm like, well, food waste, the IPCC reckons that food waste is about 8% of all global CO2 emissions. So all global greenhouse gas emissions. So you can simultaneously feed hungry people and solve the climate change problem just by throwing less food away. That seems like a super easy win, right? This is the low-hanging fruit stuff. Solid waste is 5% of all global greenhouse gases. That's more than the entire shipping and aviation industry combined. So like when we talk about... The scale of these problems is gigantic. So this should be the these are the easy things to fix, and it's much easier to get people. If we we touch this stuff every day, we are all dealing with it on a day to day basis. Everything in those rooms, I can see you guys in your rooms. Everything around you is going to be trash one day, right? Like so, we are all living this stuff every day. If we can't solve that problem, how are you going to deal with invisible emissions going out of some factory in Indi- in Indonesia or China or something? So to, to me, it's like an opportunity rather than a problem.
0: Billy's a hoarder. Is he doing it correctly? He will throw anything away. I mean, oh
2: yeah, if I just collect a bunch of stuff but never throw it away, am I doing a good thing for the environment?
1: <laughs> well, it's not as long as it's not decomposing. I would say, yeah, maybe. I mean, the the the, the, the real talk answer to that is like the majority of the waste that is produced are in our like in, in in our economy is produced up. Uh, like upwind from us, up, up the chain from us Yeah, 97%. Uh, there's I There's this estimate and it's a bit outdated and it's not precise. Um, but you can use like the Canadian figures, which is like 97% of all waste produced by weight is industrial waste, which is another thing where like people say, well, it's all, all very well saying, you know, buy less stuff. But I'm like, if you really want to make a difference, you could just, you know, buy one less thing to hoard and that will probably offset the majority of the other things, things that you're doing now. I use the, I like to use the example when I talk to people about you know but I said buying less stuff that doesn't sound very exciting and I said well no buy better stuff like if you can because not everyone can but as like if if we all thought about stuff you take a classic car community right you see you, you see guys who are like really they got like a 60s Mustang and they take really good care of it and they are out there every Sunday waxing it and buffing it and you know maybe they've carefully repaired the engine or sometimes they're like you see these communities and they're like upgrading them to electric engines and stuff now and that guy who hasn't changed his car since the 1960s has probably got a lower carbon footprint than the guy driving the brand new prius because they've had like four cars in the intervening years and the embodied carbon in those four cars like offsets the less efficient engine of this 60s car that you're driving right so but what i'm trying to say is i'm not saying everyone should drive 1960s gas guzzlers i'm saying like if we took a little bit of care and looked looked after stuff long term not only do you get a better carbon you know you you get better carbon emissions but you also get things that you love and that are beautiful and that you take pride in and like there's there's value in that that i feel like sometimes we've lost in our like super fast consumer society when's the last time you bought a t-shirt that you like really loved you know from the local store that cost you $5 or whatever, and was made in a Bangladeshi like fast fashion factory. So um, if we can re kind of get back a little bit of that care for our things, I think that we're, everyone's kind of better off in a lot of ways and spiritually among them.
0: You seem – well, maybe angry is the wrong word. You seem frustrated because there seems to be some easy sta- uh, steps we all can take,
1: uh, and yet we're not taking them. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I, I don't – I am angry in some ways. Like, I'm not going to be when, – when you see – some of the stuff that goes on in this world, some like some of the greenwashing, you know, it really frustrates me when I see big companies like big these big international conglomerates in the West talking up their like latest recycling like initiatives or whatever. And at the same time, like with the other hand, they're like pumping billions of plastic sachets into economies like India and stuff in the global south and that they know aren't recyclable and like not doing anything about it. And that is like rampant. So so things like that do get me like fired up, and I think we should all care about it. So there's that side of things but I, I think the thing that one of the things that made me most kind of moved and agitated in in this story is you know I, there's there's a chapter in the book I went to Ghana um people don't know Ghana as a country in West Africa and um to write about thrift store donations Now most people don't know that when you donate stuff to a thrift store, only about between 10 and 30% of that stuff is actually resold in store. The majority of it is sent to these kind of big uh, warehouses where it's like sorted and graded. And then it's exported to the to the global south, to, you know, to, you know, to the developing world. And there's a huge, you know, this the second hand is like a huge global economy, not just clothes, electronics, cars, everything, you know, like a, lots of things have these second lives in the global south that you never see. Now in countries like Africa and in, in like like Ghana and Africa and across West Africa um they have been flooded since particularly since the 1980s with more and more clothing donations and a lot of what we donate now is fast fashion by fast fashion I mean the kind of stuff that you buy from H&M or a Zara it's it's cheaply made quickly made and it's designed to be used a couple of times and then thrown away and there is now so much stuff flooding these economies that they basically can't possibly use it all so I met the guy who deals um, the guy in charge of the sanitation department of the of Accra, which is the capital of Ghana, and he told me that they have this one sanitary landfill for the entire city like a sanitary landfill is one that's kind of safe and and you know environmentally um, sound. and it was paid for with this loan from the World Bank and it was designed to last about 30 years and they filled it up in about three and a half with all of this clothing waste. and now inevitably when there's clothing waste a lot of the time there's like plastic fibers and other stuff going in it burns very well and you're dealing with a very hot country. The entire thing caught fire and burned to the ground. This guy this is this guy's like a burly guy in his 40s who's crying telling me this story. And he said, you know, he, he said, so the people of Ghana, who are some of the poorest people in the world, are still going to be paying interest for the next 20 years on a landfill that we can't use because you sent us all of your garbage because it's filled with your garbage. Yeah. And he was like, why are we paying for your waste? Like, yeah, you know, and, and and the answer is like, I genuinely don't know, but I do know that when companies do pay into these this, these things called extended producer responsibility schemes, so you know, companies pay a little bit of extra money, and it goes towards trash collection. Most of that money tends to stay in the global north, in the rich countries, right? And the, these you know these poor countries aren't seeing any of that stuff, but that's where it ends up. So to me, I think that any solutions we're talking about the the un and these international treaties and stuff any solutions to these problems need to need to make sure the money is going to the people who who need it and where this where this stuff is ending up because like you see these places and the reality is is horrifying what's the uh what's the place you've seen or the
0: thing you've seen as you were putting this together that was the toughest thing for you to see was it that was it something else
1: no i mean anytime you deal with with wastes um you're dealing with some of the world's poorest people uh you know i went to india um india is now the world's most populous country as of earlier this year it has a huge waste problem you know the explosion of people has gone from being very poor uh to now kind of having this big disparity between the the richest there and the poorest who are still extraordinarily poor and i went to this landfill called Ghazapur, which is on the outskirts of new delhi and this thing is is I describe it as the mountain in the book, but it, I genuinely mean that it's it's like 200 feet tall. You can it's about like the size of several thousand football fields. You can see it from miles away. Like it, it looks, it genuinely looks like a small mountain that you can see like looming across the edge of the city. And there are, hundreds if not thousands of people living in on a essentially on a town on this landfill and their job is to you know they make their livelihoods by picking out recyclables from this waste and selling them onto the recycling market onto recycling dealers uh, and waste pickers like this are, are pretty common for much of the world across the global south south america central america southeast asia and uh you know the, to, to to tell you these people are, are poor is is kind of grossly oversimplifying things um, you know, we're talking people living eight eight people to a room, that kind of thing. Um, and I met this mother, and the kids were playing with the stuff that had been thrown away. Like they were taking toys out of the trash. They were blowing like take the, what these little kids were t- taking out bubble mixture from the trash and like finding the little stuff left over in the jar and blowing it. And I was talking to the parents, and the mum said, "You know, these are my daughters take them with you." You know, and so when someone's mm. offers you their kids, you know, because they know that they have very little hope um of of bettering themselves and their and their life it's very difficult as a journalist as as a person, as a human being to to know what to say in those moments. so um so th- moments like that when I was in when I was in Accra, I was in a, a an informal settlement um don't call them slums anymore, but that's essentially what it is um called old old fatima, which is on this lagoon in the the is where some of the again some of the poorest people in you know um in Accra live and this guy so so something interesting happened there in the last few years which was there was this big slum called Agbogbloshie which was a, a processing hub for electronics waste a lot of electronics were going there and people were essentially like burning the wires apart and basically stripping them to, stripping them for the metals because metals are very valuable wherever you go in the world um, but it became this kind of like viral YouTube sensation. A bunch of like YouTubes turned up, YouTubers turned up with their camera and kind of shot these kind of horrifying footage of like teenagers burning like toxic fumes. And uh, so what the government did was it basically rolled in during the pandemic and bulldoze, bulldozed the whole place to the ground because it partly because it was like giving them a bad reputation. And when I came in, like the locals were absolutely furious and they were like, what the hell are you doing here? He's just going to betray you. Like, don't talk to him. And I had to be like, you know what? They're they're right. Like, I'm, what I'm doing is not going to directly help you. Like, my hope is that I can affect policy change and things like that. But as a journalist, you come into these places. I'm not an NGO. I'm not Greenpeace. I don't have a big checkbook. I'm not the Bill Gates Foundation. Um, and that's that's difficult. It's a difficult thing to do and to and to face. And I hope I can be upfront. I was upfront with them about it, and I hope I can be upfront with the reader about what they're seeing and and who really has the power to make change. Because I'm hoping that. And the people who read this book feel moved enough to to make a difference for those people, because, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a guy with a pen and a notepad a lot of the time.
0: Oliver Franklin Wallace. Uh, the book is Wasteland. It's available now wherever you buy your books. Uh, top three things you want the audience to know, our audience to know uh, about this. Oh problem. Top three most. I know it's it, like it's tough. Uh, but if you had three things you could tell the audience right now, what would you tell them?
1: um that's a very good question you'll put me on the spot here so no, I'm really say, time. I'll, I'll, I'll give you three kind of quick 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 and easy solutions
0: uh um, oh, because these guys like, know me and i'm not usually this is not a subject i would normally like agree to do an interview on but this is <laughs> like it's fascinating to me and it's jarring and so i want the audience to know like what they could do to to you know, help
1: stop it, what well, they should know, you know? For sure, for sure. And I I think it's a really it's a really good question. The first thing it would be um buy less and buy better. We're kind of we talked a little bit about that already. The second thing would be um like learn to repair stuff, like 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 find something in your life that you don't have to like start darning your socks, but you know, if you've got a games console, I've recently I've got, you know, I've got a Nintendo, I swapped out the controllers recently, repaired those, something a lot of your listeners will probably relate to. Little things like that. Um, are skills that you can learn and make things last longer and actually have like an outsized impact. The last thing, which is maybe slightly um, less obvious, and this is more of a kind of global call, but like demand that companies and the the, the waste industry tell the truth. One of the kind of most profound things and shocking things for me in this whole journey was I found out that essentially countries like the UK and the US, they publish these this data about like how much stuff is being recycled, and um, you know, we talked a lot about recycling. The book's not just about that; there's a, there's a whole chapter on nuclear waste and the sewage and all kinds of wild stuff in there, and big incinerators and things. But we have this recycling, the national recycling rate, and the thing that I, f- I basically found out is that this whole, the entire way that we measure recycling is based on this fundamental lie. And the reason it's based on a fundamental lie is this: is that they count something as recycled. Basically, when it goes through the front door of the factory, you th- you picture the garbage, the truck. It pulls in the front door of the factory, and someone ticks a box and says, "Yep, that was recycled." They don't measure it, so it's an input measure. They don't measure what's actually being recycled there and coming out the other side. And so, I went to this huge, gleaming new fact, like plastics recycling facility in the UK that does plastic bottles. You know, soda, soda bottles. They're like one of the most common forms of waste we throw away, and they were like. I was like, okay, what's your what's your yield? Like, how much are you actually recycling? And they were like, it's about fifty percent. So the actual recycling rate is half what we are all we are all like sitting around here claiming it is. Now, what's wild to me is that there are like internationally bind like legally binding international treaties that are based on these these recycling figures. Like the EU, every every com- country is like pledged to reach to fifty percent recycling rate by I think it's twenty thirty. And like we can't even tell the truth about that. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the the if your first thing they they you you ship a container full of waste to a port and it gets loaded onto a ship to China and like literally the moment it, like the ship take sets off into the distance, it's tick, it's been recycled and no one's ever checking like what's happening at the other side. And then you see this footage of these fields of waste in like China and Turkey and stuff that's just being burned in open fields. And you're like, this is wild. So the the, the biggest. Like most obvious, it probably feels like a basic answer, but the biggest thing is like we just need to tell the truth and like get a sense of what's actually happening to this stuff. Because a lot of the time, it's just it's just lies. Like it's like all the way down, the tr- the, tr- the truth isn't there. Something as basic as well, let's find out how much of this stuff is actually being recycled. What actually is happening to the stuff we throw away?
0: Uh, you're angry and you should be. Uh, because
1: <laughs> now you're making me angry. <laughs> well, yeah. Sorry, I, I hope yes. I hope people read this. Like, yeah, for everyone I sp- talk to when I tell this stuff, they they get pretty mad too. Um, I should say it's, it's like, it's not all depressing. It's fun. And, you know, I went, uh, I went, uh, dumpster diving, you know, you go, you, you go dumpster diving with, with free and all this kind of stuff. And, and there's, there's like, there's, there's fun parts of the journey that, that have been in mean, the people that I've met along the way who've become friends and things. So it has been fun to me, but yeah, when you, when you, are, when Billy's you put me on the spot, like, yeah, yeah, dive. yeah you what,
2: any... Billy's curiosity. I saw him break up there on a dumpster dive, <laughs> any good yeah. finds. What do we see there?
1: I mean, it was, the the stuff that I was doing, the, the like dumpster divers are, are are kind of weird because I don't what weird because they're dumpster divers, but but like often they have like this like preternatural sense. Like I'll be walking down the, the the road with this guy, John, who who I went dumpster diving with. Who's who's this? Um, he 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 has the record for the person in the UK with the lowest carbon footprint because they did this wild like weird competition. But uh, he's a he's a he's a freegan, which means he doesn't buy any food. He only eats what other stuff people throw away so his entire livelihood is fishing stuff out of bins um but he would like would be walking down a road and he would be like oh i think there's like i think there's something good over there and you're like you would go and look inside and there'd be like all these like valuable metals and stuff that he could like sell to the trash dealer and that's how he makes his money um but yeah like the amount of like again food and stuff that people throw away if you go down the back of of a like a of a supermarket of a whole foods and stuff and you open up the dumpsters at like end of end of time like the, at the end of at the end of the, the day some of the stuff that you get is wild. Like you could feed a whole family out of these these things, and it's good stuff. You know, it's like it's just, it just just happens to have expired that day, but it's not mouldy. Like it's just stuff that okay, the display date's gone. i are gonna chuck it away. Um, there's a wild thing that people don't really know about returns um, in in the UK. This this made better news a couple of years ago, but a lot of companies, when you send, particularly if you're buying cheap stuff online and you send it back. The cost of them processing the returns is less valuable than the stuff itself, so they just chuck it. They just they just like they, they send it to landfill, or if it's electronics, they send them to these facilities and they basically put them in giant shredders. So I went to this um, facility out in Fresno, one of the biggest electronics recycling facilities in the in the US, and there were stacks, at my head height, of brand new unsold TVs still in the wrappers. And they were just putting them in this gigantic blender, essentially. Jeez. It's like the greatest noise and it like the stink and stuff, oh. but you know, brand new stuff because they're basically like, well, it's new, you know, it's, it's the time when it's new season, the new stock is coming in. We don't want cheap stuff on the market. Like secondhand, they just blend the stuff like genuinely. And, and the scale of it is bl- will blow your mind. It just, it genuinely, this, just the size of it makes you feel tiny and insignificant.
0: I'll tell you what, I'm doing my part. I don't throw away any food.
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well my kids i've got two kids and they're that going through the picky eating phase so i'm like not perfect in that in that way and i i don't want like i don't want everyone to start thinking you have to be these kind of zero waste influencers where like you're only throwing away like one kilner jar of of trash every year or whatever because i just don't think what that's should good. i
0: do with this bottle of water when i'm done
2: with it right here oh he probably label off crush it put the lid back on do you punch, really chuck in your recycling do you hate okay. that he's using a plastic bottle
1: i'm sorry not hugely like i i again like i I still do from time to time i try not to that he's got his keep cup yeah good man right. um <laughs> yeah but what do you do with I, the bottle you, I know. Com. I mean, you got it from a bottle <laughs> right I <should>. yeah <laughs> i like like I, i've definitely got a lot better but i wouldn't say that i'm perfect and I, i'm not trying to be perfect right like i swapped my toothbrushes for wood ones instead of plastic ones like got rid of a bunch of shampoo bottles and things and now i like little things but um you know, by putting off upgrading my car for like t- and a couple of extra years, I probably saved more than I would have by like giving up plastic from for an entire year. So you know, like that you've got to weigh up the value, and everyone's got to. If we expect everyone to live perfect lives, they just give up because it's too hard. Like the, the the cards are stacked against you. So make the thing I say to people is like try and do your. Your best, if it's something you want to do, there's loads of solutions out there, and it's very easy to learn. Like YouTube and Reddit, and the things are full of these threads, and and all these Instagram accounts who can tell you how to live less wasteful lives. But you've got to make we've got to fix the system. Like if we fix the underlying system, then if that plastic bottle is recycled eight times, then I'm I'm not you know we we can feel good about it. You know I'm not, I'm not I'm not saying that we need to be perfect. Is
2: moderation a good solution? So like instead of like how many pairs of sneakers should I own, for example. <laughs>
1: Well, that's, that's really up to you. I'm, I'm, I'm someone who used to, used to buy a lot of sneakers. And now I, I kind of, every time I, I feel t- tempted, I manage to kind of fight the urge a little bit more, but you know, we all need, we, we all need to wear clothing and I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy things that that look nice. The thing that I've, you know, you talk about sneakers, for example, the thing that I think about now is how long are they going to last me? You know, like, am I going to buy something that's like made a, a piece of crap and is going to f- fall apart after 20 wears? Am I going to buy a pair of Converse's and like the the soles split after two months and then you're throwing them away? I used to wear wear those shoes and you go through like two pairs a year. Um, So I think about that now. the 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 footwear industry, for example, is like suddenly really big converted. Like it's impossible to buy a pair of sneakers now that aren't recycled in some way. So we have seen a lot of progress in. And feels like that, you know, my, my, I should say to the readers, my day job is I'm at, I'm an editor at GQ. So I, I like, I know a little bit about fa- like a little more than about fashion. And so I understand the, uh, I understand the, urge for sure. Well, how many books is too many books? Uh, you can never have too many books. They get a special. I don't know. <laughs> they get a special should... exemption.
2: <laughs> How <laughs> many is wa- recyclable? How many <laughs> wastelands is too many wastelands?
1: I, <laughs> I, I, I. Like when people ask me to sign the book, I always say to them. Like, I always say to them, "Well, make sure you pass it on to someone else afterwards." But you know, like paper is very recyclable, and uh, I'm sure a lot of the books, the paper stock is recycled, for example. So, uh, so yeah, i I, again books th- th- this book bu- this book will uh will 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 hopefully encourage other benefits and so in the aggregate it's good for you that's, one, that's my say. You want to call book, him a bleep hole, yeah. don't you? Your, your mean, publisher yeah. hates really that you. Your really publisher, your, <laughs> buy the audio book. There you go. Have there one you like.
0: go. <laughs> I like but, that. It's not really like reading, but it's okay. It's listening. <laughs> <I> mean,
2: yeah. <laughs> your publisher has to hate that whenever you sell a book, you're like, why don't you give it to someone else? You're like, no, no, Oliver, yeah. we're selling these. Right, buy five <laughs> copies each. <laughs> Okay,
1: that's good. I don't tell people until it's given the money. So it's fine.
0: Oliver, you're doing the good work. You expose it. You're telling the truth. You're trying to help out. You're pitching in. You're doing your part. So well, uh, I appreciate that. I, buy, appreciate buy it. Books, I don't really feel okay? like everybody, five yeah. books a person. All right. <laughs> <laughs> We appreciate we appreciate the uh, the research. We appreciate you educating us and the audience. And uh, keep up the good work, my friend. This was uh, it was a fascinating story. It's out of it's kind of out of my comfort zone. And so when I brought it to these guys and said I wanted to do it, they're like, "What?" But I think we were all fascinated by this. So thank you for uh, for the research that you did here.
1: Well, I appreciate you sticking with me and giving me a chance. And it's uh, yeah, it's been nice to talk to you guys. I, I really appreciate it all uh, right we appreciate it man uh mikey said by the way he
0: feels like there should be a number
1: after your last name like you should be a third mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or so. franklin franklin or less yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. or junior i feel like if i was an nba player i'd have junior or something <laughs> off my name
0: you can't For see this but Oliver i'm six eight and i was a big, a uh, big basketball player so there you go. <laughs> uh, all right we appreciate it thank you so much thanks guys